You're listening to Athletes the Other Side, a podcast that explores the past sportsmen and women tread when they're not competing in the sporting arena. With your host, Ben Nichols. Well, everyone, welcome back again to Athletes the Other Side, this podcast that explores the unsung sides of athletes' lives, their chapters and tales away from the sporting field. As always, I'm Ben Nichols, formerly of the World Anti-Doping Agency, US Anti-Doping, Athletics Integrity Unit and more. And if that has a bit of an anti-doping ring to it, you'll soon find out why. Because episode 15 is now up, and it's one I've been chomping at the bit to put out because it involves a guest that I know well from my former working life when I was living in Montreal, Canada, working for WADA. For this episode, I've used a bit of artistic license, let's say, given my guest wasn't a professional athlete like others that I've had on the show. But he was an amateur athlete, and a good one at that, in cycling. And with a story like his, that's good enough for me. Originally hailing from Denver in the United States, my guest today lives in the ever-sunny climes of Southern California. And given his world-recognized work, there's no guessing why. My guest is someone that is as courageous as he is compelled to expose the truth. He's a storyteller extraordinaire and someone whose name shot to rapid fame off the back of his Oscar-winning documentary film, Icarus. He's been a stand-up comedian, an actor, and yes, today, a leading filmmaker who's not afraid to go where others buckle. So joining me from Los Angeles, hot on the heels of the release of his latest movie, The Dissident, is none other than Brian Fogel. Brian, welcome to Athletes the Other Side. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, good to see you again after all this time. Um, firstly, how, how are you keeping? Obviously, here we are in May. Um, you're in California coming out the back of a pandemic, but with a, a new movie uh, to boot. So how, how are you keeping? You know, I'm doing all, all right. Uh, you know, uh, things here have been uh, kind of feel like a return to close to normal. And um, yeah. Uh, been busy and uh, everything's everything everything's good. So nothing to nothing to uh, uh, to truly complain about. Um, I just want to start kind of in the present present day, if I can. So earlier this year, I read uh, read an interview with you in in Variety, media outlet Variety, which said. Um, with regards to kind of your new film, The Dissident, that big streaming services, your kind of Netflixes, your your Amazon, um, Amazon Prime's, Apple's kind of wouldn't go near the new movie. Now, it's obviously, as we know, it's about um, the, the Saudi activist who was based in the US, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, and kind of weeks later after reading that interview, there I was flicking on um, Amazon Prime myself and there it was as the headline movie. So I was suddenly like, um, well, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was in the, the UK. Um, okay. and, um, and, uh, strangely, uh, Amazon took it for the UK, uh, and nowhere else. Uh, so it's not Amazon prime anywhere else in the world, uh, except, uh, in the UK. Go in- figure. Go figure, exactly. Interesting. So, I mean, how much of a, on that point, how much of a struggle is it to kind of get this get this movie placed? It's obviously hugely popular over here. I've spoken to a lot of people about it. Um, it's a real talking point. Um, obviously, it was difficult to kind of place it amongst some of those media sites. But does that... You know, on that on that point, talk a little bit about how how tricky it was, kind of the marketing of it, and also, you know, do some of these media media kind of, kind of companies have... I guess a bit of a kind of like certain lens on how they look at these things and a bit of an agenda maybe. 
Well, look, I, I, I think um, anything when you get into politics, and in this case, uh, politics and uh, and not just politics, but politics and big business and money and huge investment, um, there's uh, a lot of times uh, opposing interests. And I think what the dissonant kind of came up against in terms of streaming to have a you know, a major global streamer uh, take it. And there's only a handful of those companies. We know which ones they are. Um, is that uh, there was a conflict uh, between uh, desires to grow, grow in the region, subscriber growth, um, investment, uh, you know, uh, either from Saudi or, you know, or to Saudi. And um, I think, uh, and I think security concerns. And I think, uh, all those kind of combined things, you know, just ultimately got in the way of perhaps what uh, the majority of their viewers or subscribers would have wanted to see uh, rather than, you know, rather than um, them stepping up to do it. Um, but, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of the film. It was, it was nominated for, for the BAFTA. Uh, we, we lost to the uh, octopus film. There's that. Uh, but, you know, it was very uh, honored to be nominated again. And, you know, I'm just happy that it that it is out there and especially in the UK uh, for people to be able to uh, to find it and see it uh, and watch it. And for those less familiar with it, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what the premise of the movie is. What what led to you creating it, as it were? What was it that kind of instigated? Right. This is something I want to make a story I want to tell. Well. Um, you know, the, the story is, as I would call it, um, the untold story of the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And I think uh, when he was murdered in October of 2018, uh, it certainly caught the attention of, you know, uh, hundreds of millions, billions of people in the world that, you know, were following this story, uh, this horrific story of, of a journalist walking into his own country's consulate. Um, to get wedding papers or marriage papers uh, to be able to marry his fiance uh, and instead is, uh, you know, brutally murdered and dismembered inside. Um, and, you know, this checked all these boxes for me that I had been looking for as a filmmaker um, for what my next project was going to be. And I think having come off of Icarus and those real world uh, implications of Icarus and also um, the fallout of Icarus and kind of policy changes that came as a result of it. And, you know, you, you Ben are uh, more aware of this than anyone. Um, I just kind of felt like I had, um, uh, an obligation, a, uh, um, you know, a, a duty to kind of continue to, to tell stories that could have resonance. And in the story of Jamal's murder, uh, and Hatija Jenga's his fiance and, Omar Abdulaziz is Saudi dissident living in self-exile. Um, there were all these elements that not only were a thriller uh, and a crime thriller, um, but really had you know true uh, uh, implications and something that I, I really wanted to sink my teeth into. I, this is something I wanted to come on to a bit later, but I think it's a perfect moment too. You talk there about kind of um, it being a story you wanted to tell, and it's similar. We'll come on to Icarus properly in a sec, but it, 
it's sort of the implications of the movie and the discussion it goes on to create. It's not, it doesn't end when you leave the, you know, the movie theater or, or leave or, or finish the movie on, on, on TV. It's kind of like you say, there's policy changes. We can go into Icarus in a second and what that did for anti-doping. But um, I, I know kind of the implications that, that your movies had, um, or I should say that the incident had um, in the U S and at the policy level as well. So, is that kind of your guiding star? Is that your North Star, if you like? You, that's your motivation. You want to, okay, you want to make great movies. That's what you do. That's what you love. But actually, there's a, a bigger purpose to to what you can what you can change in the world. Look, I I, I wouldn't um, say that you know um, if I can't uh, do a film that you know whatever uh, is going to change hearts and minds that I wouldn't do it. Um, you know, if it's something that. I'm really uh, interested in uh, topic wise or person or something that, of course, um, you know, I, I would definitely do that. Um, but I think that, you know, for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for stories um, constantly that I feel can have, um, you know, impact. So, um, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's certainly a driving force. And, and I like um, telling stories that I guess feel um, perhaps um, risky, you know, that, that there's more than just a, you know, we're telling a retrospective story of someone's life. Um, you know, in the case of making Dissident or Icarus, I was really going on a journey of, of making that film, a, you know, of uh, a real world, not only investigation, but um, you know, there were so many unknowns going into it and, um, and that process is something that I, I kind of embrace, um, as a filmmaker and I guess kind of the investigative journalist side of me. Absolutely. Changing tack slightly, just to go back many, many years, kind of to the beginning of your life, just want to give, give listeners a bit of a, a picture of, you know, you grew up in Colorado um, you know, my loose link for having you in this podcast, obviously, obviously I, we met several years ago, but um, I typically speak to professional athletes and what they do when they when they hang up their boots or what they go on to do away from the sport. Um, whilst you weren't a pro athlete, you were certainly, you know, a really top, top cyclist. It was something you did a lot of when you were growing up. Can you talk, paint a picture of, you know, what, what life was like growing up in Colorado, how you got into cycling? And, and was there ever a kind of an aspect of yes i might take this pro and you touch on you know um kind of your cycling obviously in the first half of icarus but um how serious were you about it how much of you know you want to go on and do that at elite sport i was uh i, I grew up in uh in denver um and then uh, i went to university in boulder um and i started i started getting into cycling um I was in the uh, seventh grade uh, in uh, in the U.S. system, so I was uh, like 13 years old, and uh, I had um, uh, I had suffered with uh, uh, lifelong asthma, really like exercise-induced asthma, uh, asthma from like cats, and and at the time there wasn't really much of a treatment for it. Uh, a drug came on the market. I don't know, 15 years ago or so called Advair, um, which if you're asthmatic and you take this drug, at least for most people, um, it means that you essentially don't have asthma. Uh, but before this drug, the, the way to treat asthma was a, a, a spray of albuterol, but that just gets your heart racing faster and faster. 
or you could take this like nebulizer solution, which was like a aerosol uh, kind of vaporized albuterol. And, and I tell this story because, um, you know, doctor and everything told my parents, whatever, well, he can never be a cyclist. He's never, you know, he's got asthma. It's going to be a thing for him. Um, and, um, but I just, uh, I, I became obsessed with the sport and because it was something that I could do on my own. I'm, I'm not tall. And, uh, so when I'd go out for team sports, you know, in the U S I was always kind of a little guy and cycling was something that, you know, if you look at a, a rider between, you know, Chris Froome versus, uh, uh, who's the guy, uh, uh, the, the little uh, the little Colombian who, uh, uh, who won mean, the tour a few years name, ago. Name escapes. What's that? I, I know who you mean, but um, me. <laughs> but I mean, you know, so you can have a guy who's you know who's uh, you know six foot four and a guy who's five foot three, yeah. and they're equal when it comes to the bike because it's power weight ratio. Um, so I I really got into cycling, um, and it was it was what I thought I wanted to do with my life for about seven years. I mean, I was so serious about it. And, um, and, and, and so the what, asthma would always kind of get a, a little bit in the way. Um, and what sort of age were you then when you were taking that seven years when you were really serious about, about the sport? What, I, it was from about, from the time I was, I'd call it, you know, 14 till, till, uh, after my, uh, first year in university till about 20, 21. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I mean, during that time, I, mean, I was, I was training every day. I was, um, you know, I was, I was racing. I was, I was, I was very committed, uh, uh, to cycling and, and I was good, but I was never great. I was like the guy who had, I continued to pursue this, I would have been like a, a, a domestic pro, you know, um, I would have went, you know, I would have been the guy who went to, uh, you know the the top U.S. races, but I wasn't I wasn't uh, you know um, on on the track to be at the Tour de France or or likely racing in Europe and um, and I had a couple horrific crashes and I just kind of decided that hey maybe um, um, maybe I should do something else with my life. Plus I had no um, you know when you're when you're training like that you basically have no social. Uh, uh, life. You're, you're constantly, your, your life is revolving around, um, your training. Um, and I was kind of like missing my college years of like hanging out or whatever. Cause I was always worried about, you know, um, <laughs> you know, my training and what I was going to eat and, uh, and all that stuff. Well, there's the sacrifice. There's a hint of the sacrifice that goes with being a top sportsman, right? Um, what about yeah, Lance Armstrong and that whole doping doping culture that was submerging the sport, you know, in the '90s and the 2000s? What were your, you know, hindsight's a great thing, but looking back now, what were your views on it then? Were you surprised at any of it? Was that part and parcel of the culture of the sport, or you know, what what are your recollections? Well, I mean, at, at the time, I mean, I you know, I, I would. You know, Lance um, had redefined cycling. You know, I had been watching the the tour for years before Lance came onto onto the scene, and I had, uh, you know, uh, but you know, obviously, you know, he 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 really turned cycling into a global sport. Um, 
in a way that it, that it had never been done. Um, I mean, the Tour de France was popular before Lance. Um, and in the U.S., Greg LeMond had caught everybody's attention. But Lance and his story um, and um, his personality, I mean, he truly, uh, during his career, turned cycling into, you know, like the equivalent of World Cup soccer. I mean, uh, people all over the planet uh, were watching cycling. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. There was always rumors but I, I still uh, don't really look at that period um, in my mind as cheating. I view it as that everybody uh, was doing something to level the playing field. Um, I, think, I think Lance, you know, got caught up in it um, in the sense or got caught uh, ultimately because he was the best of, <laughs> of everyone else that was also cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I, but I still look at Lance and go, well, um, if everybody wasn't cheating, Lance probably would have won mm. and he beat everyone else, uh, who were trying to out cheat him and who were also cheating. Um, sure. so I, I kind of, I kind of disagree with that stripping of the medals and, um, and, um, and I think that, you know, uh, love or hate Lance, I think, um, y- you know, I think he won seven straight Tour de France's. And I believe that because when you talk to all of the people that competed against him, you know, and you can go to, you know, number two, three, four, five, six, seven, you, you name it down the list. They'll all tell you that he won fairly yeah. uh, because they were, they were taking blood bags and EPO and, and uh, uh, and cheating as well was able to do that uh, and do it so well for so long. Um, you know, I think is uh, you know it was a moment in history that you know we might look back on and that okay everybody was cheating and, and the sport is at least believed to be cleaner now or at least it's a lot cleaner and um, and the ability to kind of cheat like you were doing during those Armstrong years is different. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, um, yeah, I think but- that I think that history um, has a way of you know it's like they they singled him out. But if you're going to do that, well, why didn't you go and take all of Miguel Indurain's medals? Um, why didn't you take all of Contador's trophy? Going on to your career, the early part of your career, um, you did stand up comedy for for a while. Um, and acting, um, and I guess with the benefit of distance now from that period of your life, how do you look back on those years? Was that an enjoyable time? Was that a sort of fresh time? Were you learning a lot? Yeah, you know, look, I've had a, a, a very, um, I guess, different career path into where I am, um, at least, uh, and I don't know where I am, right? <laughs> you know, and, but at least to in regards to the uh, the work that I'm doing and, uh, and access to things that I want to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, when I got out of cycling, um, I didn't really know, uh, what I wanted to do. Um, I got into, um, uh, at the time, uh, a business, uh, selling computers, um, which is a whole other story how that happened. And, um, and I moved out to LA when I was 22, um, to 
to kind of this was a good play. Um, and a year and a half in everybody I'd met uh, in the part of the city that I was living in in West Hollywood uh, were doing uh, something. They were acting, they were producing, they were directing, they were writing. So I was kind of like the, the black sheep. I mean, like the <laughs> idea of being like young in LA and not doing something in entertainment um, uh, was uh, you were in, in, almost like an outcast. And um, I decided to take a, a stand-up comedy class and um, and uh, I loved it. And about six months after that, I, I stopped doing this computer business and you know, cut to whatever, 20, 24, 23 years later, I'm, you know, here I am talking to you. So, uh, but you know, I, I had, uh, I'd pursued, uh, standup comedy. I was, uh, writing, uh, acting, and then, um, everything was always kind of trying to figure out how to get, get a break. And I end up writing, uh, a 10 minute scene for this kind of showcase that I was putting together uh, in hopes of getting an agent or a manager. And this showcase, um, uh, you know, the, the scene goes great. And I turn this uh, into a play, a full length play. Um, and then this thing called Jutopia takes over the next 10 years of my life of this uh, monster I'd created. Um, <laughs> that uh, that uh, led me down a whole other path, and that was, if I'm right in thinking, that was the it's the longest running still to this day, longest running off Broadway show. Um, yeah. Play, yeah. I don't know if there's something that's broke it, but um, you know, it ran it ran three and a half years. We had a run in LA for a year and a half, and and then I ended up uh, directing um, a very loose uh, film adaptation of it, and. Um, uh, that didn't do what I wanted it to do. And it was now about 2013. And that, uh, led me into, um, into what would become Icarus. So let, let, let's talk about Icarus. That's obviously the link of how, how I met you. Um, I think it was 2015 or 2016 when we probably met, I was, I was working for the world anti-doping agency, as you know, um, looking after media relations. Um, I remember this well, obviously, because of what it's gone on to create a great movie, but it's, um, we had a lot of people come up for interviews to, to interview the top brass at WADA, but I remember, remember your interviews well. Um, I don't think I'm kind of shedding any light on anything that's not, not known now, but it was, I, I remember well, a lot of, you know, a lot of the time, the, the questioning you had for WADA representatives at that time was about the kind of how robust the system was at that point in time. Um, particularly with the kit, you know, the sample collection kit, what the what the athlete samples are taken from. Now, <laughs> when the movie came out, that's when it sort of transpired. Okay, now we know why why there was so much questioning on this um, on this side of things. Um, I, you know, I, I have a lot of people ask me about Icarus because they hear my voice in it, and I play a very small <laughs> cameo two second role in the background. So thanks for that, Brian. But fascinating film. Um, you know, we, I, I won't go into the, the whole timelines because it's such a complex story in a way. But, you know, I was working at WADA at the time. WADA, as you know, was investigating the Russian athletics. And then simultaneously, you're obviously working on your movie. The New York Times piece comes out. Your movie comes out. Um, 
I'm doing a very kind of uh, fast-tracked version here. But um, first time I saw the movie was down in um, in Sundance um, at the at one of the premieres down there, which was you know fantastic. I guess looking back on it now and the process you went through um, to make that movie and the people you had to speak to and the I guess you know the changing of events because the way you started that movie it was obviously about you know it was a lot of a lot to do with cycling and a lot to do with um, doping and then it changed into the Russian story. What is your um, what are your recollections as a whole of going through making that movie and the emotions you felt? I think during that period. Yeah, it was quite a, that was quite a journey uh, to go on uh, to um, have happen and then also be dealing with the you know, the real world uh, implications uh, around that, um, you know, during that time that you were, you know, uh, at WADA, I mean, I was um, in a lot of contact with, you know, uh, with, with David Howman and, um, and others uh, within the organization as this scandal was breaking and, and WADA was trying to, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what they were going to do, you know, essentially put the genie back into the bottle. I mean, this was, this was, this was a mess. I mean, it was, um, uh, it was a mess for, uh, WADA. Uh, it was a mess for, for all of global sport. It was a, it's a mess for the Olympics. Um, and it was also, you know, dangerous because you were exposing a, a huge, um, you know, uh, conspiracy to cheat uh by a, a very powerful uh country with a with an authoritarian leader mm-hmm. um and you know and, and and being involved with that so closely um you know it was uh it was it was it was really something because i was essentially the conduit to gregory Rachenkov. i mean he was uh once he got here he was staying silent um um, or it was, uh, you know, we worked uh, to get him into protection with the U.S. authorities as they were debating whether or not to charge him with crimes or charges. And it was just a, it was a very, very tense time while at the same time, you know, trying to put together the film creatively and put this thing together uh, to be, um, you know, the, the film uh, that, that, that it became uh and that you know and and that would go on to such a claim um so it was um it was uh it was it was a lot and um and also it was uh it was quite an education in kind of the the uh the workings of the world that even though if you believe you're on the right side uh of history or that you're doing the right thing like in regards to even WADA, I mean, it was just kind of shocking that, you know, here's the world's anti-doping regulator that's supposed to be the policeman in this. And you would think that they'd be jumping up and down and going, thank you, Brian. Thank you for helping us with this. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. Instead, uh, you know, I'm essentially a, an enemy of WADA because, because I'm the guy going, you guys, you guys messed up. You know, and you guys really messed up, uh, and uh, uh, and you've been completely ineffective in doing anything. And then you understand that half of the organization is funded by the Olympics. The Olympics really want nothing to do with this, and uh, you know, and the organizations that you think are the ones that actually want to stop cheating. It's not that they don't want to stop cheating; 
they just don't want to deal with the fallout of their uh, inefficiency and a system that's broken. Um, and it's getting in the way of revenue and dollars and advertising support and, uh, and crowds and ticket sales and, and, and all of that. So, um, you know, yeah, I came to really understand that, um, you know, the outside was, yeah, yeah, we're here to stop cheating. And then on, you know, the inside, it's just like, oh, wait, that's going to get in the way of, a, you know, a billion dollar contract. Yeah, okay. It, I mean, it opened, like you say, Pandora's box, it opened up it's so much, so much kind of in terms of the, um, you know, a reflection on the system and how it needs to improve over the next, you know, four or five years, people are still talking about it in anti-doping and not, not the movie, but what it, what it then, you know, set the hairs running in terms of what needs to get better um, and the deficiencies there. Um, no, I just did let you in a bit small kind of insight when I went to Park City to watch it, which was a great, great experience. You know, I was the, I was the kind of sole representative from the, from the company to go and watch it and get a bit of an advanced viewing. And there I was. Oh, the- yeah. And we did a We did a massive reworking after that. I'm you sure did? you saw the. Yeah, did. we did a huge reworking after Sundown. Yeah. Did another six months worth of work because the film just wasn't ready. It, cha- it changed. Absolutely. And I remember kind of my experience of watching the movie. <laughs> you'll laugh at this. And there I was kind of my, my role was obviously to go and watch it, but to try and report back and okay, what's this movie about? What's in it? What's, how does it reflect on water? And there I am pen and paper with a, a flashlight scribbling notes during the movie. Um, and at the end of the movie, getting escorted out by security who obviously thought I was some spy and I had to kind of concoct a, a story to, oh, yeah. you, to you and Jim Swartz and those guys saying, hang on a minute, I'm from the company this is about. So this was a, a funny kind of turn <laughs> of events. But yeah, like you said, then six months later. I remember that now, yeah. You remember it, yeah. And the movie's gone on to, you know, totally change from the version that I I was fortunate to see at Sundance. Um, and it was just, yeah, I mean, it was a, it's a mind-blowing film. I, you know, I, we were close to it because we worked in that industry, uh, me, and, me and co-workers, but it was a mind-blowing film. And the number of people who love sport who saw that and said, you know, this is geopolitics meets sport. I mean, that, that's a kind of once-in-a-generation project did you again do you feel this is um you know you don't come up on these stories every day did you feel fortunate to to have the chance to tell that yourself yeah i mean look uh you know when i set out to to make the film um you know i i couldn't have imagined um where that was going to ultimately lead to i mean um there were you know, there, there were hints and there were clues and, and I was certainly following that line, but, you know, from the WADA investigation that was released, um, uh, the first one, um, which didn't have Sochi in it, it was really more allegations that caused the lab to close in, in November of 2015, um, to, yeah, to, to what had ultimately happened you know, was, you know, the difference between, you know, the tip of the finger <laughs> finger versus, you know, <laughs> versus the whole hand. I mean, it was, it yeah. was, it was, it was, it was, um, you know, a lot. And, and, you know, so I was, I was in this day in and day out and I was making decisions of, okay, do I, do I keep on this path? This isn't, uh, Brian doping himself and mm. um, and seeing if he can evade detection. This is this is a huge global scandal um, that has you know some massive implications. 
Um, and but I, I decided at that time that the story was so much bigger than myself. And um, and Gregory, you know, had not only risked his life to try to bring this forward, um, his life was in massive jeopardy and danger, um, you know, and still is. Um, so uh, I, I kind of was always looking at it like, okay, this is this is this is bigger than me, and and if I had that kind of um, mindset in it. Um, at least that's what kind of kept me, uh, kept me going and kept me, um, you know, driven that the story, no matter how crazy it was, um, needed to be told. And I was kind of the, the vessel, uh, to do that and to help Gregory do that. And, um, and I ultimately looked at it as kind of a, an honor. And look, you, you semi-answered my next question here, but yeah, personal question if I can. Like like you say, you were the, the vehicle to tell that story. Was there were there times when you thought, you know, your own safety might be at risk or because you're telling a story which, you know, yes, to an extent, you know, people might have read the New York Times, they might have seen snippets of the water reports, but you told it to the masses in that way that, that others didn't. Did you, did, did you question it regularly or did you think, no, like you said, this is too important to, to go back? I, I just viewed it that I, I was really, really on this journey. I, I'd committed to it and I'd committed it to it, you know, through the through the year and a half, two years before I was in the middle of this scandal, which was, you know, I'm going to dope, I'm, I'm traveling all over the world, I'm putting my body through insanity. Um, and, um, you know, so there wasn't really the mindset uh, for me uh, ever of, oh, I'm going to, you know, just kind of quit and walk away and pretend that this didn't happen. Hmm. Um, it, it, it just kind of, you know, um, increased my, my drive to want to, um, uh, uh, to tell this story and help to tell this story. Yeah, well, absolutely. Look, it's, it, it was a huge global success. It won, won an Oscar. It, it's had a huge impact as well. First, Two questions, I guess. Firstly, the Oscar, you know, highlight of your life. How, how did you how did you feel getting that? It must have been absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I mean, it, 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 what a surreal experience, um, you know, to be, uh, you know, on a on a stage uh, uh, accepting the Academy Award. so uh unexpected um ultimately you know in the you know thinking of three years earlier i mean when we were in that hunt for the oscar for a year but you know that was you know to win that it was just it was surreal um and and at the same time you know i i remember you know i was i was feeling really um i was really bummed out that gregory couldn't be there mm -hmm. uh Richankov, that um, that I wanted, I really wish he could have been there to have celebrated that moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you also realize that everything in, in life is just a, a moment and the next day, no matter how good you were feeling that day, you gotta wake up and find, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> purpose to your life again. 
mm-hmm. or new projects, new things to work on. Um, cause that moment has passed. And, uh, yeah. um, but you know, that was a, that was a, a fantastic journey and, uh, uh, um, you know, it was great. The, let's talk about the impact a bit of Icarus. Let, there's been a discussion for kind of four or five years of the whole, um, yeah, the, the anti-doping movement and reform and having athletes at the center, the need to be for sports officials not to be on those wider decision-making boards. A lot of people would put their, you know, put their kind of finger on that's a big problem because you've got, you know, in Travis's words, you know, the, the fox guarding the hen house, right? So you've got a, a, a police watchdog that has sports whose who's very reputations are at stake voting on these decisions and, and you know, big decisions like like Russia and others. So what do you think about the whole fallout in terms of the way the system's been debating what needs to change? Um, and, you know, other, other, other things we've seen as a result of, I think, largely because of Icarus and the story you told, you know, it's, we've seen a huge number of athlete groups, startup groups, startup, you know, clamoring for reform, getting involved in anti-doping, whereas previously they were watching from the sidelines. There's been a lot of, um, a lot of fallout. Are you, in a way, are you proud of that because it's, it's started the debate, which will take time, but hopefully will change things for the better. You know, look, um, I, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I believe that the film, um, and, and this is the, the impact and power of film that, um, before Icarus actually came public, it, it was known what had happened at Sochi. We'd had been in the New York times, uh, McLaren had, you know, published a report. Um, but being someone being able to see that film, understand it in a visual uh, context and a cinematic context. And of course, how that film is put together, like, you know, born identity kind of thriller, um, you know, changes hearts and minds and, and also brings it, you know, global uh, attention. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people around the world uh, have seen Icarus. And so it makes it hard to then go bury your head in the sand again, or pretend that that didn't happen or, you know, uh, and I think for WADA, uh, you know, pretend that, you know, uh, that, that the system um, wasn't broken uh, or, or for the Olympics for that matter. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's great um, that the film has had, uh, you know, such, uh, such, such an impact um, and that, you know, it seems to continue to be in the zeitgeist um, as, you know, uh, as, you know, something to, something to see. Um, certainly seems, you know, everywhere I've went on the planet over these last few years, uh, it's hard for me to find someone who hasn't seen the film. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's in its name, it's created a, an anti-doping act, which is above and beyond what, are, what water and the authorities do, you know, the Rochenkov Act, that... That, and and for yeah, you know, for our listeners that are not aware, say, you know, in very simplistic terms, it you know criminalizes doping to an extent where there's there's fines, there's potential um, imprisonment, not so much for athletes, but for those you know involved in this the, the sort of system and the the, the state supported system, all the all the the background stuff of doping as well. Um, you know, that was signed into law by President Trump last year. That that must be a huge kind of win, if you like, for thinking, okay, this has been, this has been put forward because yeah, essentially because a, a story has been told about what happened. 
Look, I mean, uh, uh, to have legislation passed in, in Gregory's name uh, in the United States um, is speaks, um, you know, to to not only the, uh, the legacy, um, you know, of, of the film, of course, um, but also, um, you know, I think is speaks to um, the power of, of perseverance. And, um, um, you know, this was, uh, I, I think that, you know, to, to have this legislation pass and to have uh, it named after Rachenkov, uh of all people, which is the irony that, yeah, you know, the essentially the, essentially the, <laughs> The, the the biggest mastermind in uh, in doping history now has a uh, you know uh, 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 an anti doping act named after him um, is pretty uh, is pretty amazing um, and it makes you go wow um, and it and it just speaks to um, I think the uh, the impact of that film because I'm I'm positive that. Um, uh, the passing of that legislation, um, you know, was largely based uh, or, or had certainly a huge uh, role in that Icarus had won the Academy Award, which validated this work, I think, on a, you know, on a global level. I think, you know, congressmen and senators, having seen that film, being able to see that film, they got to know Gregory, they got to understand who this guy was, what his life was, and they got to really understand what the bigger, you know, uh, problem and what was going on. Um, that you know, in reading documents or news articles, you probably wouldn't do. So I, I, I do believe that um, that you know the film uh, probably had a, a, a massive um, uh, you know role in. Um, in in ultimately the uh, the passing uh, of WADA, and, I mean of of, of RADA, the the Rachenkov Anti Doping Act. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, similarly with your your you know the, the dissident coming out, at the U.S. House of Representatives, I think recently passed a bill that restricts um, arms sales to Saudi. Is that is that right? You know, there's another there's another impact from a global event and a, a story being told to the masses. Look, um, you know, I don't, I don't know um, the, uh, you know, exactly uh, what happened. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't take credit for that. Um, but I, but I was told and have been told um, that um, that the dissident um, had 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 uh, a large effect um on um uh, uh on the biden administration's decision uh you know to to release um you know the the report uh you know on uh uh you know on on Khashoggi's murder and i think that the film certainly probably had a uh had an impact on you know the weapon sales um, and, you know, and kind of continuing U.S.-Saudi relations, I guess time will tell. Fantastic. Um, Brian, it's been great to talk to you. Um, just before you go, if I can keep, keep you for another minute or so, just a couple of questions on um, the other side section, which is a short section of questions on the lighter side of life. That's coming up next. 
You're listening to Athletes the Other Side. All right, Brian, welcome back. Um, six quick fire questions. Um, so, starting off, your favorite sporting moment from your life? <coughs> Favorite favorite sporting moment from my life. Um, I would say uh, for sure it's uh, heli skiing. Uh, for for the first time a few years ago um, in New Zealand, I'd always wanted to uh, to heli ski because uh, I've been a lifelong skier. I was racing skis when I wasn't racing bikes, and and getting to experience that. Um, that is uh i can't i can't think of a better thing on planet earth to do than uh, than heli ski nice i don't blame you um your favorite non-sporting moment favorite non-sporting moment i mean i'd probably be winning the academy award yeah, I was going to guess that. I was going to guess that. Yeah, going on going on stage. I mean, that was that was pretty out of body. Yeah, uh, that was a great moment. I bet it was. Um, what book are you currently reading? Well, I always have. I have books that uh, that uh, that I want to read. The book that I just bought to read. It's a small book called The uh, Four Agreements. Uh, Apparently it's like a good kind of spiritual health self-help book. And um, uh, I've heard about it many times and Joe Rogan was talking about it and I'm friends with Joe and I uh, said, oh, I should probably get that and read it. Fantastic. Okay. Fourth, uh, one surprising fact people might not know about you. That uh, I'm actually a very, uh, a very silly guy. I'm pretty goofy. I'm behind making uh, Icarus and Dissident and all this stuff. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a goof. Well, it's a huge, yeah, huge about term from comedian days, I'm sure. So, um, okay, uh, penultimate question. Uh, best piece of advice you've ever received? I don't know if I would say it's the best piece of advice because I couldn't tell you um, exactly who said this, but I would say the um, best piece of advice I could uh, that I always think about is um, no matter what you're feeling uh, today or in that moment or in in this minute, uh, it's just that it's it's a moment, and uh, and life can can change uh, at any one of those moments while while you're alive. And so, uh, as my father says, every time he has another birthday, and I go, "Wow, you're getting old." And he goes, "Well." The alternative would be that I'd be dead. So, <laughs> so he's uh, 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 so he's always he's always happy to basically um, still be enjoying life. And uh, I don't know if that's advice or not, but I yeah, think that um, as I as I look at things, um, it, it, however uh, uh, I'm feeling, no matter how high or low or whatever it is, uh, I always go well. Hopefully they'll be the next day and try to keep focused on um, uh, on the positive and and, so, and the ability to, to always change and make change if you want to. Yeah, simple advice, but actually easily forgotten as we get wrapped up in things. Um, and last but not least, your top three dinner party guests at the Fogel household. Meaning who I would have or... Who, who, you, who you would have, who, yeah, past or present 
alive or deceased? <laughs> I'd say uh, my father. I think uh, I think uh, I think I'd take Mick Jagger and Bono. <laughs> it's difficult to get a word in with those guys, huh? <laughs> awesome <laughs> sounds like fun um brian thanks so much uh it's been a real pleasure great to see you again and uh yeah got, good to see you too ben gotta say a quick thanks as well for including my very short um press conference cameo on the movie that that gets many long lost friends calling me up and saying hang on a minute did i just hear you on uh, on icarus <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great i love that Good fun. Um, Brian, thanks so much again and uh, keep well and uh, see you soon. See you soon, Ben. Well, what a remarkable journey he's had. I'm sure you'll all agree. Uh, Fantastic to get him on the show today. Wow, what a story. Uh, And, you know, the observation I take away from from knowing Brian a little bit and and speaking to him today is really, you know, here's this guy who's been a comedian before, lighthearted guy, you know, goofy as he puts it himself. And yet he's chanced upon these incredible, uh, exhilarating, nerve-wracking stories, which are which are tense and serious stuff. So incredible kind of juxtaposition there with um, with who he is as a person and actually what he's gone on to do and the and the impact he's having through his filmmaking. You can't say that about a huge amount, amount of films. Some of them are stories, some of them are stories and have a an impact and a purpose. And I think Brian is very much in the latter category. But thank you to you all for listening. I hope you're still enjoying the show these months on. And where do we go from today's episode, you might ask? Well, we go on to episode 16. No clues as yet who that might be, but it is another great one. I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to that. If you want to see what else is coming up, then do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google as always. Leave us a review. Please do. It gives us feedback. It helps us improve. Um, And don't forget as well to follow the podcast. You can do that on Twitter or Instagram at AthletesTOS. But in the meantime, as always, keep well, keep listening, and goodbye for now.